Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Are you ready to challenge a rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2017. My name is Sherry Roberts, and you're listening to Challenging the Rhetoric. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight, leading cybercrime computer forensic expert Frederick Lane will be joining us once again. The UK's BBC recently published the results of an incredible investigation and found that Facebook is harboring secret pedophile groups. And many of the images being shared in these groups are coming from your own social media pages. This is no phony Pizzagate. Welcome to the show. In 2002, a convicted sex offender won a high court order for the removal of a Facebook page set up to monitor pedophiles in Northern Ireland, forcing Facebook to remove that page. Fifteen years later, the BBC now exposes that Facebook is a haven for men who have a sexual interest in children. And according to their February 12th expose, there are multiple hidden or secret Facebook groups run by pedophilic men, at least one of which is, in fact, a convicted pedophile who is still on the sex offenders registry. While conspiracy pornographers are out there wasting resources, needed resources, to catch these predators, real predators, and uh, it's the real journalists and the experts like tonight's guests that are doing it right. As always, we have a lot to talk about. If you'd like to participate with us during the live broadcast, you can join us in the chat room on Blog Talk Radio forward slash Challenging the Rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. Just click on episode number 51 and the chat room should load beneath the slider there. If you're already on it, hit refresh and it should be there. You can also tweet to us at CTR Newsfeed and you can get the guest tonight at FSL3. Be sure to visit the website also and Facebook page at challengingtherhetoric.news. Tonight we're using the hashtags Facebook pedophiles, the real Pizzagate, and cyberbullying. It's going to be a really good show. Uh, I hope you uh, I hope you dig it. I hope you're into it. And I, I hope that you learned something from it. Remember, this is a dialogue, not a debate. Our guest tonight is Frederick Lane. Frederick is a, one of the country's leading cybercrime computer forensic experts. He's an author of at least eight books that I know of, including a series called Cyber Traps that everyone could benefit from. You know, just by reading, there aren't just about the bad guys. There's also help there to teach you how to navigate digital technology and avoid common and not so common cyber traps out there. Frederick is also an expert in child abuse imagery, also known crudely as child pornography. Remember, these images are documentation of real crimes against children. And these images live on in perpetuity on the Internet. Parents post pics of their kids and pedophiles copy them into their collections. No one wants to think about what they do with them next. Unfortunately, it's our guest's job to know exactly what that is. Frederick Lane, welcome to the show. Sherry, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, You know, I love having you. (laughs) 
it's just a, it's well, a regular it thing. So well then. <laughs> yeah, you know, just check your calendar about every 30 days. We're going to have Fred here. <laughs> so, um, Fred, for uh, any of the listeners that have not caught a show that you've been on, why don't you give a, a brief rundown of who you are and what you do? Sounds good. Um, just right off the top, which is really helpful for folks. If they want to know more about what I'm doing, they can go to my website, which is fredericlane.com. I blog periodically about the cyber traps issues that I talk about. My background is in law. Uh, I was trained as an attorney at Boston College Law School. I spent about five years practicing. Then I started writing about law and about the impact of technology on society. Along the way, I began doing computer forensics as an expert witness. I've spent about 20 years doing that. And in the last five or six years, as you were nice enough to point out, I've started working on a series of books under the umbrella name of Cybertraps. So Cybertraps for the Young, which is about risk to kids, Cybertraps for Educators, which is about some of the issues that arise in schools, and just most recently, Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads which is about a lot of the technological issues that arise uh, before and during pregnancy. Awesome. That's awesome. I think I was tweeting out the uh, one for expectant parents earlier tonight. Um, I'll be tweeting out some more Fred's mm-hmm. links um, uh, on Twitter as well as posting them to the Chomsing Rhetoric Facebook page. So, uh, Fred, part of what you just said um, in, in talking about what you do, you said studying the impact of technology on a society. And those that listen to me and and read the stuff I I write, that's pretty much, (laughs) you know, what I talk about every single time in some way that, you know, we're losing aspects of humanity, you know, as a trade-off or something for this technology. Um, So can you maybe um, opine on that a little bit more, elaborate on on what you mean by the impact, in your opinion? Sure. I mean, look, it, it, this is this is many years of my work over the last decade plus, so it's hard to summarize. But I think that, you know, there are a couple of legitimate takeaways that I think are relevant to what we're talking about tonight, Sherry. Number one is the speed with which everything is happening. And what I think that results in is the failure of us, and I'm I'm not necessarily focusing on the people who do bad things, but but really all of us who get into trouble because technology moves at such a remarkable pace. And we oftentimes lose sight of the um, need to think about what we're doing, you know, to take a moment to reflect about our actions. And that really ties into the whole internet trolling thing. It ties into the polarization of society. Uh, there are a lot of manifestations of that that are really troubling. So that's one thing. The other thing, which is directly relevant to the Cybertraps books that I've been doing, is that we really are just beginning to look at the impact of online adult materials on society as a whole, and in particular on our kids. And we've got a couple of different issues there. We're making kids more vulnerable by sexualizing them at such an early age. One of the things that we have not figured out a good way to do yet is to limit access of kids to adult materials. That normalizes a lot of behaviors and makes it easier for kids to become victims. At the same time, it perpetuates the pool 
of child sexually explicit images and for perpetrators and for abusers, it, it normalizes the environment in general. So I'm a huge First Amendment fan, and I absolutely am not looking for massive government censorship, but I am looking for, for more effective education about the impact of these things, and hopefully for just a better awareness on all of our parts about the risks that are out there. Yeah, most definitely. I think it's everybody's responsibility. Everybody was a child once. Um, you know, sure. the statistics yeah. show that there's there's a huge portion of the current population and populations before, as well the populations after that um, have an, a background of abuse and or neglect. Um, and, you know, when you, the, the first half of your response there, um, I think that one of the things that's really important for people to truly understand with this rapid pace of technology, this growth, this evolution is, you know, our, you know, we need to be sure of, of when, when we take that pause, as Fred suggests, you know, are we listening, reading, watching only to respond, or are we listening, reading, watching to understand something um and, and, and that's, <laughs> that's a that's great really question well it really and that's and and what we see is this hyper uh activity this hyper um response for lack of a better way to put it um going mm -hmm. on on the internet and stuff um so i uh, you know with one of the things that you've said on the show before we've talked about parents that put um pictures of, of their babies, their children, you know, on their Facebook pages or whatever and, um, and stuff like that. And one of the things that an, another cybersecurity expert, Susan McLean says is that, you know, oversharing parents, just like you, that they were kind of of particular concern when it comes to social media. She said that people really need to understand, and I completely agree with this, and I'm sure you probably do too, is that a photo is worth something to someone else, and it may not be for any purpose that that parent likes. And then it doesn't matter how innocent the photo is. If your child has whatever a predator is looking for, and we'll get into a little bit of that in a, in a, in a few minutes, they're going to take that photo, which leads us into this BBC article, this expo this investigation that they did um i find mm -hmm. it very credible and um i immediately the minute i saw it i contacted you and i'm like ah oh, fred look at this because you and i've <laughs> talked about this very thing and and although right. we're going to focus kind of on this article and facebook let it be clear to the listeners and, and fred will back this up and we'll pepper in some of this too it's not just facebook instagram um you know even myspace is still you know going and and other other avenues peer-to-peer networks and so on and so forth. But Fred, let's talk about this BBC article. Let's talk about these these secret when people have a face you can you can create a Facebook group and you can have one that's open to the public. You can have one that um is private, meaning people need to ask to join and you can choose whether or not you want to let them or you can have a completely and utterly secret group that won't even show up in a search. And these are the particular mm -hmm. groups that we're talking about. Now there are countless right countless groups like this and BBC, you know, discovered uh, many that were that catered to and were run by pedophilic men. Right. And and actually, Sherry, if you don't mind, let me just preface my response to that by uh, one important thing that I think parents who are listening should be aware of, which is that, yes, we're talking about the most disturbing use of photos that are out there. And, and I think that's a legitimate point. In the cyber traps for expecting moms and dads, though, one of the things that I was looking at was 
this idea of misappropriation of images for commercial reasons. There were a number of anecdotes that I ran across in which parents discovered that photos that they had posted online of their kids, relatively innocuous photos, had been literally stolen by corporations and used for advertising purposes. And actually one of the most disturbing, oh no, it was. One of the most disturbing anecdotes was a child who has Down syndrome who was used in an advertisement by a pharmaceutical company that markets early pregnancy uh, tests for Down syndrome. And the clear implication of their theft of the photo was that if you use our medicine or our, our test, this won't happen to you. And it was an unbelievably painful way to use that image. So everything we're talking about tonight is absolutely crucial in terms of the potential abuse of children. But parents need to understand that the issue is much bigger than just people who have a particular fetish. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I, there's so many different responses firing off right now. I'm not sure where to start, but I think I'm going to start. I'm going to start with innocuous photos. And for instance, um, as as a journalist, um, I use images a lot in in my articles. And if they're mm-hmm. not images that have been provided to me from you know the the proper person that owns the images, or if they're not images that I myself have taken. I'm a member of graphic stock, so I will find different stock images that, you know, that I can freely use as part of my membership. And they have, you know, all the different shows and things that I've done with regards to child advocacy, particularly child sexual abuse and child abuse. There's all sorts of images in graphic stock as well as all the other stock photo places of kids. And it's like, I know it's kind of, you know, we can't expect a world where we don't have images of children, you know, including in commercials and, and stuff like that to a certain degree. However, the people mm-hmm. whose children those are, I mean, come on, Fred, you know, as well as I do that, that probably every photo of a child that's on graphic stock is also in someone's quote unquote collection. Sure. Right. And this brings us back to the BBC article. And I do think it's important to point out that this article was actually a year ago was when it was first released back in February 2016. But that being said, I don't think that there is any question that this stuff is still going on. And your summary was directly on point. That is to say, you can have a um, you can have a public group, you can have a private group and you can have a secret group. And it's a little unclear to me why Facebook would need to encourage secret groups. It just seems to me that it's basically asking for this kind of problem to arise. Well, not only that, that, wait, pause for a second. Sorry, but I I can't let that pass without saying Mr. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, his whole freaking platform and stance is about transparency. Okay. Hmm. And, and so what's transparent about that? I mean, that's what he built Facebook on. That's hysterical. That's 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 the whole premise of which he built Facebook on. Yeah, that's what the tagging sure. and all of that is about. That's what the newsfeed is about and, and how they began it. And, and he has said that himself many, many times, especially in the beginning. You don't really hear, hear him talk about that so much anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's outrageous. There are so many different things well, for the longest time. You can even untag yourself for the longest time. You know, I mean, it's just crazy stuff that, that this place allows. 
I know. And I think it's actually a little bit unfair to even use the word transparency because I don't think that's what it is. It is absolutely, to honestly use the old adult industry term, it's about stickiness. You want people to be on the site for as long as possible and to interact as, as much as possible. And, sure, and again, don't get me right. Exactly. And, and so, you know, the, it's the old adage, which is maybe a little bit of a, a cliche, but if, if the service is free, like Facebook is, then you are the product. And that I think is really, even if it's not precisely true, there's a lot of validity to it in terms of how Facebook treats all of us. That being said, I think that the, the problem that we're dealing with here is that you know that there's a there's a, a theme on the internet called I think it's was it rule thirty four I forget exactly whether it's rule thirty four rule nineteen whatever it's a silly it's a silly meme that has developed the idea of which basically is that if there's any service on the internet it is turned to pornography in some way and so the fact that Facebook now or not now but the fact that Facebook has allowed the implementation and the use of these secret groups means that inevitably it's going to be turned to some kind of un um, socially positive purpose yeah i i just i i find so many things today with regards to the utter lack of care um just quite disgusting so what is the answer okay i, I you know last year you you laughed at me because i wanted to take on google <laughs> i wanted to take on search <laughs> engines all right and i'm I, I you know i'm with you i'm 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 all about you know our first amendment rights and 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 stuff like that and you know it's it's very important that we don't have over regulations and stuff like that, but we're talking about very harmful stuff. And, you know, truly other, unless you're a victim, no one knows better how harmful and how ugly it is. And you, you have to look at this stuff. And, um, and sometimes for, you know, long periods of time on end when you're working a case or something. And so, um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the impact, the impact is, is, is forever lasting, (laughs) you know, it's forever lasting. So, so what's the answer, Fred? What's the answer with regards to social media and stuff aside from throwing it back and making it all the parents responsibility? Well, let's start with basic principles, right? I mean, the, the fundamental principle when it comes to public speech is the first amendment. I, I, I don't want anybody to walk away from this show thinking that I am not a full-throated supporter of the First Amendment. I think that that is both our curse and our salvation, depending on how we use it. So that's, that's number one. I think that, that we have the right to free speech. At the same time, the boundaries of the First Amendment are brought into visible uh, perception by criminal law which is to say that if people are distributing images of a criminal act, and, and by the way, let me, let me just lay out for your listeners that I am actively working to replace the phrase revenge porn with the phrase yeah. electronic sex, with the phrase electronic sexual assault. Because when somebody takes an image of someone without their consent, which is obviously all of child pornography, because someone who's under the age of 18 cannot legally consent to having that done. 
that is a form of assault. It is not, you know, revenge porn if someone, you know, reposts a photo of their girlfriend or their wife or something like that, because oftentimes the act is not technically revenge, but more important, it's not actually pornography, which implies some kind of commercial involvement. It is simply a form of assault, and we need to start treating it that way. So what I would say to you, Sherry, is that we have this robust First Amendment. We have a form of communication that the courts have described as the most democratic form of of communication ever invented. Those are positive goods. The fact that some people use these really valuable resources in bad ways is a criminal act, but it, it shouldn't have us rethinking the First Amendment. So basically what I would say is the upshot of this is we, we educate people. We do a better job of teaching empathy, which is something I was just lecturing on up in Anchorage over the weekend. And we prosecute people to the full extent of the law. But we make sure that we recognize the value of the First Amendment to every aspect of our lives. Yeah, we definitely do. Um, It's, you know, I was thinking right now the statistics are that, you know, one in seven kids, youth on the Internet receive unwanted sexual solicitations. I I would wager that that is probably conservative. And I think that (laughs) along the lines of what, yeah, and I think along the lines of what you're saying about protecting our free speech and, and, you know, our freedoms and doing, you know, having this Internet, having you know, the ability to do all the different things that we do. Um, and it, what I'm seeing is that people are somehow, and it's, and it's really no different with, than rape. Um, and it's not just women that are raped, you know, for those listening, you know, this isn't like a man bashing show. It, more men are pedophiles when it comes to that specific thing. But sexual assault is sexual assault. And, you know, it always seems to get, the burden, not just the blame, but the burden of, of finding the answer. It's no different than, you know, a neighborhood where the corner, there's accident after accident after accident on the corner and, and, and parents are worried about their kids crossing the street and it takes a, a child to get hit and killed before they put a street light in. You know, it's, it's the same thing. So yeah. I, I think it still goes back in, in guarding all of our freedoms, Fred, how are we able to protect children where the responsibility is not just on the parent because you know how intrusive the world actually is now because of technology. And let me just say something to parents that are listening out there. That one in seven of the kids that have, you know, received unwanted sexual solicitations online. Here's one reason why I'll wager that that is a conservative number. And I I mean, I, I can almost guarantee it. And that is because there are so many kids that don't report it because they're afraid of you, mom and dad. They're afraid that you're going to take away some of their liberties and privileges and what they do online if they tell you because it's going to worry you so there also is that you know you need to have a, an appropriate kind of communication avenue with your kids so that they feel comfortable and don't feel like they're going to be punished in some way because when you take something from a kid don't matter what the reason is they still feel punished go ahead fred well you know you're, you're really i think beautifully highlighting sherry the the intense dilemma that we face right because These resources, I mean, the very fact that you and I are able to do this transcontinental radio show and 
communicate via Twitter and Facebook and text message and all the rest of that. Those are all the tremendous benefits of the internet, right? And and the right. challenge we we grapple with all the time is that if we have a tool that is being misused, how do we change the behavior, not the tool itself? And you know, I I, I when I lecture to school districts and to departments of ed and all the rest of that, that's my fundamental message. It's not the it's not the technology, it's the behavior. And so while yes, I agree with you that we don't want to entirely put this on parents, that is where the necessary training certainly starts, right? Yes, in terms absolutely. of Yeah, absolutely. In terms of raising young men who are considerate and empathetic and understand the consequences of their actions. We wait we we, we our goal should be to raise young women who are intelligent and savvy and capable of taking care of themselves and empowered have right exactly empowered and have the skill set to not need someone in any way to take care of them that that ultimately is the goal i mean look you know we'll see how life unfolds but so far three of my four boys have wound up with these really smart intelligent capable women and and more than anything else, that's the thing that makes me feel good. You know, that they, they as men are smart enough to admire that. So, so I think that, that there's, there absolutely is a need for parents to lay the groundwork for the kind of behavior that we want to see. Then related to that, the schools have a role to play in that. And, you know, we get into these broader issues, Sherry, and this, I don't want this obviously to get too political, but how are we teaching critical thinking? How are we giving kids the ability to understand the issues that are out there? How do we reinforce empathy within the schools? You know, a lot of the things that we complain about, about young men these days, is a function of a lack of empathy. Well, about look, Fred, a, a, okay. You don't yeah. need to get political. I'm just going to say it. I mean, the elephant in the room is, is how do we do that? And how do we guide our children when it is being normalized that we have a pussy grabber in chief? Okay. You know, when, when they have, uh, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos or however you say his last name or Milo or whatever, you know, I'm sorry yeah. that he's a victim. He needs some help, you know, but, and, and he allowed mm -hmm. these people to use him as their puppet because that's a lot of times what victims do, you know, they don't know any better. They, you know, they. Well, plus it's he just was a really sick cycle. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so we're normalizing things. The misogynistic yeah. uh, crap yeah. that goes on yeah. um, with the parties involved. I mean, you don't need to endorse anything, Fred. This is my show. I'm saying this. I'm not endorsing any politicians, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I can't say that this bastard in the White House isn't really tearing down our country. He's got the lowest approval rating. I, he's been there a month now. I mean, it's outrageous, yeah. outrageous. Yeah. And it's hurting your children, people, your children. It doesn't matter how freaking white they are he's hurting your children go ahead fred well cherry i couldn't agree Sorry. with you more you understand <laughs> uh, here well, you can yeah. have the soapbox I'll, I'll shut up for a minute yeah. all my haters will go oh she's gonna shut up <laughs> your lips to god's ears i i could not agree more with you because look you know the work that i do as as a computer forensics expert you know the work that i do in terms of cyber traps and so forth 
so much of the challenges that I see in society are driven by the the issue of normalization. And I think you are exactly right, because the question we, we confront is, what kind of role models are we putting in front of our kids? And this gets into the issue of screen time, you know, because from a parental point of view, it should be blindingly obvious that, that one of the most difficult things is to cope with what kids are being exposed to. And so the immediate logical response to that is as much as possible, reduce the exposure. You know, it's part of the thing is that I think you hear Sherry, I, I actually just grabbed onto this idea and I think I'll, I'll run with it. What kids are experiencing on the internet is emotional sunburn. You know, and, and the thing when kids are getting sunburned, you don't throw them back out into the into the daylight. You you bring them in, you take care of them, and you limit their exposure to the sun. And frankly, with respect to the internet, we're seeing studies that show that kids are getting between nine and eleven hours of screen time every day. And you well, know, it doesn't take you can play with that metaphor as much as you want but they're being overexposed to what they see online and we need to dial it back. And Fred, I completely 100% agree with you and I would extend that further and I would say that that it is equivalent uh, to use it for your analogy of a sunburn and yes, parents would treat it and they would limit their exposure. The problem is, is that when you get sunburn over and over and over and over, you're increasing your chances of cancer and what happens when a child is ah, exposed oh, nice. and exposed and abused over and over and yep. over again. It doesn't matter how much lotion you rub on the wound. It makes no difference. That cancer grows and it's a painful yes. thing. Childhood hurts. Hashtag childhood hurts. Go ahead, Fred. That, that, honestly, Sherry, that's really, really powerful. I like that a lot. Um, it you. may show up in one of my future lectures. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Glad but, I can help. But look, let's, 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 let's get back to the BBC thing because there's, there's two aspects to the story, because after you sent me the link, which you did, which I thought was great, I went back and did a little bit of research. And, you know, look, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't need our love, but it is important to point out that six, seven years ago, there were a bunch of hoaxes running around the Internet, that there were public groups that people were using to solicit images from parents and so forth. That's different from what we're talking about. The The article that you sent to me from 2016 was specifically about these secret groups that were used to share images that people stole from Facebook groups or from other places on the web. Many of these, by the way, are non-nude photos. So it, it it's not all strictly child pornography. And that became an issue in terms of Facebook's response, because in terms of the community standards and the terms of condition, terms and conditions on Facebook, they're really looking at whether or not there is actual nudity involved. And so some of these groups really don't use nude photos. They just use what are called lewd and lascivious shots. That is photos that are designed to elicit response without nudity. And what that means is that Facebook is not necessarily going to take those down, even though they are clearly um, fantasy sites for the sexual abuse of children. 
it's 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 nuts and and the problem here that cancer that i was talking about isn't just growing inside somebody that's abused repeatedly um or exploited repeatedly that cancer is growing in the society and the internet should be something that is you know technology should be something that is empowering us to defeat this problem mm. that has been around since the beginning of time and the reason sure. though is goes back to the you know the real disease is the silence in it and most parents have a, a heck of a time having any kind of conversation with their children and when they do it's very tense and terse the child's uncomfortable the parents uncomfortable <laughs> and it's all in touch things like it's some sort of secret oh don't let anybody touch you here and you know those are your privates and don't let anybody talk to you here and oh if somebody sent you a picture you just delete them and you know what about a real conversation when is this problem that is epidemic epidemic generation after generation when is this problem going to actually not be all hush hush and people are embarrassed to talk about it that's where the problem lies in until people can talk about it like you and i are fred on a daily basis in their regular freaking lives then it's still this oh, oh you know and people are embarrassed if it happens to somebody in your family most people are embarrassed they might be pissed off but they're embarrassed sure well, look, I mean, you're you're touching on a, a major problem in American society as a whole, which is that we have such a difficult time with sexuality. And if we didn't, then much of the power, if you will, of these online images would go away. But that's not the way our society treats this stuff. Um, you know, and, and, and there's one other point that gets tied into this, which I think is is related to what you were just saying, which is that, again, we come back to this issue of sexuality in the First Amendment. So, you know, take, for example, an absolutely classic piece of literature, uh, Nabokov's Lolita, you know, which is about the relationship of an older individual to, I, I don't know how old the young lady was in that, maybe 13, 14, 15, something like that. It's a disturbing there, yeah. story. There's absolutely no question about it. On the other hand, it is an amazing work of literature. And I think the point that I'm trying to make is that we need to be careful to distinguish between fantasy and act. And there, there is absolutely no question that we need to punish criminal activity. And that someone who steals an image, for instance, from a parent, puts it onto one of these secret sites or these secret groups, has committed a criminal act. I'm, I'm less comfortable with the idea that if someone writes about a fantasy, that that is a criminal act. And I'm not, you know, I understand that, not, that there are people who disagree with that. But I think that if we get to the point where we start criminalizing fantasy, that is the fascist dream right there. Yeah, that's the thought crimes. And and I, I'm with you on that. And I'm going to give a, a an example, a more current example than the original Lolita. I, I'm very aware of Lolita. It is a piece of literature that I've read. Mm -hmm. um and i have i have yeah, right. uh yeah. it, it's it's a great piece of literature i can't deny that um but the content especially me having been abused it, it was always you know something that is just i 
I, you know, it's difficult, but I that totally being said, respect and I, that, sure. <laughs> well, but you're right. And, but, but to get to, to be fair, there was a 1984 movie um, named uh, Blame It on Rio and it had Michael Caine oh, and Jesus. Demi Moore right. and Michelle Johnson. Okay. And that's, that was very much, uh, a modern kind of twist in a sense, I but very commercialized. I remember that movie, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it, it was a good movie. I liked the movie. You know, I was, I was, you know, in 1984, I was still in high school. Um, I, I liked the movie, even though it was very close to home, you know, as far as things yeah. that were going on in my childhood and stuff. Um, and the difference between a work of literature like Lolita and uh, um, a work of, if you want to call the movie art, uh, blame it on Rio is that blame I'm it on not, Rio was sure really presented. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. I tried to be kind. Uh, but you know, the movie was very much um using the the commercialization of sex for the movie, mm -hmm. whereas Lolita was about a lot of different inner turmoils and things like that. And I think that it's more closer example that, that people could have to be inside of the head of a man, the proper head of a man <laughs> who, <laughs> you know, is having these sorts of thoughts. And so, um, but I mean, there's, right. there's that, a lot of that, different. I'm sorry. Ahead. Wasn't that Michael Caine? Caine, right? That yeah. Michael Caine, Michelle Johnson and yeah. Demi Moore. Oh my God! And well, and and Bruce Willis actually wasn't Bruce Willis the other guy? I, I um, I'm reaching. That's thirty. No, years ago, so. it was uh, it was Joseph Bologna. However you say it, but it looks like Bologna. Joseph Bologna. Bologna. Valerie Harper was in it. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, there was just a, and it was it was this crazy movie, you know, and but it, and it resonated with a lot of people. Now, let's take sure. that and put that in the concept of the concept of today, context of today with yeah. technology. And here's a reality that only only you know, right wing nut job misogynistic men. And when I say right wing nut job, I don't mean all conservatives. Okay. You know who right, you are, all right, when you're a right-wing nut job, <laughs> all right? When we have these misogynistic, these Elliot Roger-type people, okay, that um, are, you know, doing things, it's a little bit different. And um, we just, you know, we can't, we can't, that's, a, a, again, normalizing. But the, the truth is, is that at a certain age of teenage stuff, a girl and a boy, because this happens to boys not as frequently, but nearly as frequently as it, as it happens to, to girls. And, you know, there are that you can, you can be flirtatious. It was very clear on the Milo Yiannopoulos or however you say his name. It's yeah. very clear in his yeah. Joe Rogan interview from an abuse victim as myself. Okay. Watching that interview, it was very, very apparent to me that Milo was flirting with Joe Rogan. That was his uh, way of being intimate and flirting with him. It was so obvious. Uh, and so like in the movie, Blame It on Rio, the girl was flirtatious. She was into it for mm -hmm, a time while she sure. was you know, getting what she wants. And so, yes, but Fred, you can tell everybody listening, it's still not a green light. It doesn't make it legal. It doesn't make it okay. No. It doesn't, it's no excuse you know, for that. It's funny. Just like downloading pornography. Well, I was, let me right. just finish that. Just like downloading child pornography because you're going to go catch a predator and that's your evidence is not okay mm. and not legal. Absolutely right. 
And look, I, I just got back from this technology and education conference at Alaska. This is one of the things that I was talking about, which is to say that we need to be empathetic to teachers about the changes that have occurred in society, specifically the fact that kids dress vastly differently than they used to, that middle school kids are more provocative and more sexually aware than they've been really at any time in public school history. There is no question that from that perspective, in terms of the sexualization of the environment, it is a much more challenging uh, thing for teachers to deal with. That does not give them license to act on it. They are adults, they have boundaries, they are there to help the kids, and it is abusive to take advantage of any of that. Absolutely true, you know, but but at the same time, I think we kid ourselves if we don't recognize the changes that have taken place. And as you were saying earlier, if we don't have an honest conversation about how all of this has changed, because it doesn't do us any good to hide our heads under a blanket and say, oh, they're still kids when you've got nine year, not nine year olds. Well, actually, in some cases, nine year olds, but more realistically, when you've got 11, 12, and 13-year-olds taking nude photos of themselves and dressing with, you know, basically the concept of porn chic, which is, you know, one of the things I've written about in the past, this idea that that the imagery and the tropes of the, the pornography industry are influencing fashion, even for middle school kids. It doesn't make it right, but it changes the environment. You know, Fred, I'm just going to be really candid. It's not just influencing fashion. I mean, look at, uh, you know, a huge <laughs> portion of women's vaginas. Okay. They're hairless because of pornography. All right. And, and, sure. you know, there's, there's people Absolutely that'll say right. that men want to see it that way because they have pedophilic thoughts, you know? And so they want to see a little girl saying it's pornography. It is, it is the entertainment industry that has driven that mm -hmm. bus, but it's the same exact concept. Well, yeah, I think that's the same thing. Yeah. Well, that, you know, and one of the things, again, because actually one of the seminars that I did uh, for the conference was uh, entitled Selfie Absorbed, and it was about the, the impact of the Internet and particularly selfies on empathy and narcissism. And part of that, Cherry, which you're alluding to, is this idea that we have a huge upsurge in body modification. And it, you know, got at this point breast augmentation seems quaint. You know, people right. are augmenting every aspect of themselves, including their private parts, because they have these concepts driven to a large extent by the adult industry as to what is normal and what is not. Fred, is it, is it, do you, would you agree that the adult industry, although has been driving um, a driving force in, in many things that, that the adult industry paired with technology is mm. really what has, you know, exploded a lot of these things. I know you wrote a book uh, about the pornography industry. Um, but I actually have an <laughs> update on that if you don't. <laughs> yeah, please do. Well, yeah. Do. Yeah, if you don't mind, actually, because um, – I don't know if you've run across this, but um, CNN over the last few years has been doing retrospectives of different decades 
and they did the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, all of which I guess are on Netflix right now. And they've been working on the next installment, which is the 90s. And I guess in the course of their research, a number of people that they interviewed referenced Obscene Profits, which I wrote in 2000, because it really looked at the growth of the online adult industry and the impact it had on you know technology and to some degree on society as a whole, although that was just beginning to manifest itself. Anyway, the upshot of it was that on my way to Alaska, I stopped off in LA and did a two hour interview with the production company that is working on the 90s installment. And that's gonna be out later this spring or early summer. So it's just very cool to have a chance to talk about what the adult industry did for technology, much of which was really positive. But then on the flip side, what the impact has been more broadly, and we've touched on a lot of this, none of us saw the fact that kids would get access to not just Playboy, which was sort of the stuff that I grew up with or people my age, right? I'm I'm guessing from what you're saying that I'm probably give or take five years older than you are. But when I was a kid, it was just like mind blowing if somebody in your circle stumbled across a Playboy, right? That was a right. big effing deal. Nowadays, that's just laughable. yeah, it's something that you, you know, would that, you know you'd want to show people quietly and oh look what I found. <laughs> exactly right. Now they're handing around their cell phones and they're accessing, you know, really disturbing images because there's no way to stop it. And so you know. Look, realistically, you know, until someone came up or comes up with an effective age verification, and there are all kinds of issues related to that, not least of which is government surveillance, which is a whole nother show. But until we get a handle on that, until we figure out some way to give parents back the control that they once had, um, it's a very, very difficult situation. It is. I'm not exactly sure how we could give that control back to the parent at this point. I think that, you know, we're beyond the tipping point with technology on that without being, you know, wide sweeping regulations. Um, And Sherry, you were alluding to it earlier. Here's the answer. The answer for parents, though, and and to some degree for schools is context in the sense that parents Parents need to face up to this reality and they need to start having these conversations with kids, honestly, when they're going to school. Nobody wants to sit down and talk about Jenna Jameson to a kindergarten student. I get that. And and that probably actually even today still doesn't need to happen. But once it is clear that either the child himself or herself is getting a smartphone or they're going to be hanging out with people who have one, then that's when the conversations need to start because it is simply a a biological fact that kids are curious and very quickly they're curious about sex. Yeah, I mean, if you see a kid, and and I don't again, I don't mean to sound cross. If you see a kid in your world and they're, you know, rubbing up on something as they're trying to take a nap or whatever, that's not an invitation to touch them. 
you know, um, I mean, it's crazy when you say about, you know, it's probably, you don't necessarily need to talk to your, you know, your kindergartner about, uh, Jenna Jameson. I would say that you probably at least need to have some sort of conversation with your first and second grader, because Fred, as you know, we've talked about it many times. There are children as young as seven, eight years old out there, literally sexting. Yes. Yes. I mean, when I told that to the group of teachers this past weekend, you should have seen their faces turn white. Like they oh, were utterly imagine. unaware of, yeah, they're utterly, but, but remarkably, they're unaware of the fact that this is happening. And all I'm saying to them is, you know, it just hasn't happened in your community yet. Yeah. And you know what, though, the sad thing is, is when it does, the, oh, it was an isolated yeah. incident. And then the second one, oh, okay, well, that's not a real problem. And, you know, pretty soon right. they're hearing about it on a daily basis, but they're still not willing to have a regular ass conversation. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> the only reason that things are embarrassing is because we make them embarrassing. The only reason, people, the yeah. only reason that anything about us and our human selves, our bodies, and all the things that they do is embarrassing is because we make them embarrassing. We have huge issues with with stuff. I mean, I had to applaud the person who made that squatty potty uh, just for the mere fact of what they named it and that they went on a marketing campaign to give you a thing to prop your feet up on in some kind of a weird position to take a shit. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, they were afraid to go for the goal to go and talk about something that people find so uh, painfully uncomfortable, you know, and terrifying. We are talking about children's lives. And let me tell you, wait, before, before I give you that back, Fred, let me just say, we're talking about people that grow up to be like this president, okay? People mm-hmm. that cancer grows and grows and grows. Cut the cancer out. I don't mean be violent. I mean start talking freely amongst yourselves and your children and your family members because you are putting family members who are all who are frequently the perpetrators of abusive children Okay, you're putting them on notice simply by having a regular creepy, you know, non creepy conversation about something that's highly creepy. Go ahead, Fred. I will say to you that it was vaguely encouraging that even for this batch of conservatives who I think are unbelievably spineless and destructive to the nation that even for them, there was a bright red line with respect to the normalization of assault on children. And that, you know, good old Milo is now confronting life in a post, you know, post-popularity world. And we have a lot of things to fix in this country, but if he had been allowed to speak at CPAC or if Simon and Schuster had gone forward with his book, I would have been truly, truly horrified. It is, it is not to say that we should not criticize both CPAC and Simon and Schuster for having entered into those relationships at all, because this information was out there. But at least when the, you know, effluviant hit the fan, they backed (laughs) off. And I'm hoping hoping that is a good sign. But but no right-thinking person should in any way endorse assaults on children in any way, shape, or form. It's just, it's remarkable stuff that, that he got as far as he did. 
I, I agree 100%. I talked about Milo a little bit last night. I've been pretty prolific on the internet, on social media, particularly yeah. um, as all these things were happening uh, before he lost his speaking engagement in his book and all that. One thing that I said last night, and I will repeat it again, and it's a perfect segue, and we only got a few more minutes, Fred, but I would like you to address something. Um, regardless of how any of us feel about Milo, regardless of, of, of that not in our gut, knowing what he said, Okay, because I assure you, he doesn't really believe that most victims would never say such a thing. It was obvious what was happening in that interview. The The problem here oh. is, is that this is a gentleman. This is a young man. Who, and, and I say gentleman loosely, but this is a young man who is an abuse victim. He has lost his book deal. He has lost his speaking engagement. He has now resigned from Breitbart, which he was basically forced because a, a, a large amount of other employees were going to walk if they if, if he didn't get let go or resign. This this guy has. Has now lost his entire world and has be, has been ridiculed on a 24-hour continuum for days and days on end. Do not bully this guy any further. You don't want the next story to be that he blew his brains out, that he was a suicide, mm. because then everybody that's doing cyberbullying takes responsibility for that. Nobody deserves to be cyberbullied. Um, I mean, there are things. Can you just real quickly touch on cyberbullying? Well, God, this is an area that I've focused on for the last four or five years. It's critically important that people pay attention to the signs of cyberbullying. One of the things that you know I talk about with parents and with educators is that we as a society need to be more empathetic. I, I, I think that's just a given. And if we see a child whose behavior has changed in some significant way, then we have an obligation to inquire, to see if we can find out what is causing that change and if there's something we can do. We should do that as a matter of basic humanity. One of the things though that, that particularly school districts have to pay attention to is that courts are willing to impose liability on school districts that observe those kinds of changes and don't do anything. That they don't dig in to see why is a uh, a, a straight A student all of a sudden getting C's? Why has someone quit the theater which they loved? Why you know, is an athlete walking away from their sport? These are legitimate questions. And one of the things, Sherry, that I really focus on in my writing is this idea basically of cloud bullying. And by that, I mean that our kids today, in addition to all of the other issues that we've discussed, our kids are in an absolute catch-22 because the very same devices that can basically result in their bullying going with them wherever they are are also the devices that enable them to connect to their peer group. And, and so I think part of the psychological trauma that kids feel is this absolute tension between the ratification that they get from their friends and at the same time, the abuse that they carry with them. The other point that I think is incredibly important to, to make is that I've been working with a friend of mine who is a um, specialist in postvention with respect to suicide. She goes in and helps organizations deal with the aftermath of suicide. And we need to be very clear about the fact that there is no single cause for suicide. Um, it, is, it is extraordinarily rare that you can draw a linear connection between someone's suicide and a specific triggering event. 
that being said, there's no question that that cyberbullying can be a big contributing factor to all of this. And if if Absolutely. we legitimately care, yeah, and if we care about kids and if we care about the emotional and and physical impact that cyberbullying has, then we need to step up as adults and as a society and be more responsive to the clues the kids put out. And that's true. Fred, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we'll be doing this again probably in a few weeks. I appreciate you as always. If anything comes up, you want to shoot me a message. I will, Sherry, anytime. I love talking with you. All right. You have a wonderful evening. All right. You know, what Fred said there is really, really important. And what we need to remember is that cyberbullying is the terminology often used for children and online harassment is the equivalent for adults, but they are one in the same. How many more live stream suicides do we want to see? This is something that's relatively new, but as we've seen how technology has uh, evolved, we haven't seen the last of that. When people are bullied, they feel alone most of the time because tactics of a bully are juvenile in nature, but they're adult in context. Cyber bullies are predators, and you can be a cyber ninja doing your part in taking out the proverbial garbage. Being a cyber bully activist is easy. It takes little to no extra time, and it can be 100% anonymous for those who wish to remain out of the spotlight. And to be fair, it is better to remain off of a bully's target list when you can. But by no means let your discomfort or fear allowing bully let it allow a bully or a harassment to continue unchecked. There's never an excuse to look away or worse, watch and do nothing or participate. If we care about free speech and the free internet, then just like this beautiful planet we live on, we have to take responsibility as its stewards. Someone once told me they had never lived in a nice place before. I asked if where they'd been had started nice and they said yes. But when I asked if they'd pulled their weight and keeping that once nice place nice, they had to admit they hadn't. It's the same as people who think the grass is greener on the other side. If it is, it's usually only because you stopped maintaining your own lawn a long time ago. We reap what we sow, and the seeds sown on social media continue to grow an acidic and misinformed public that's balanced on the cliff of insanity that's loosely disguised in a hajib of our own making. Notice I say ours, that's because it is all of our responsibility. If a maniac was beating down your neighbor, even if you didn't like your neighbor, would you sit and watch, go back inside, help and beat him, or would you do something to help? If people feel the need to arm themselves in the streets of America, what, but if not you, could one arm themselves with online? We cannot look away from things we do not wish to see, things that make us squirm in discomfort. It is those very things we need to look directly in the eye. Whenever and wherever you are online and you see bullying happening, whether you know the people involved or not, report it, always report it. You don't have to get involved and insert yourself into the situation itself, but you do have a moral obligation to report it. Check out adult cyberbullying on nobullying.com. Great stuff. And tune in to, to next week's show. We're going to talk about some more of this. It was really great to have you. Remember, our words, my words, your words, they have power. And if you don't know what you're using your words for, then it's probably not. We have to take responsibility for the propaganda that we participate in, whether we're creating it, curating it, this endless cycle, this click, like, share, it's like lather, rinse, repeat, blah, 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 blah. We are not anybody for this. If you think we are, then you need to take a step back and take that pause, like Frederick Lane was saying earlier. If you like what I'm doing, please share the links. Uh, gratuities to the show's PayPal, they're always appreciated, uh, greatly appreciated. If you missed part of tonight's show or
can find the archives and the donor links on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. That's it for me tonight. I'll be back next week, live as usual. I might pull in another show in between. I don't know yet. Thanks for listening. I like it a lot. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.